the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, November the 2nd, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today in 1783, George Washington, General George Washington, issued his farewell address to the Army near Princeton, New Jersey. It was in a letter. I don't have time to go through the letter today, but sometime I'd like to do that. I'm sure we will. He said a lot of things about God, government, and the culture. Today in 1889, North Dakota and South Dakota became the 39th and 40th states with the signing of the proclamations by President Benjamin Harrison. Today in 1920, the first radio broadcast in the United States is made from Pittsburgh. Today in 1921, Margaret Sanger and Mary Ware Dennett, they formed the American Birth Control League. That event would morph, eventually morph into becoming what we know as Planned Parenthood. Today in 1947, Howard Hughes piloted his um, huge wooden flying boat called the Spruce Goose on its only flight. Lasted about one minute over Long Beach Harbor in California. It's in a museum now where people go and look at it and go, wow. A lot of work, a lot of money. He was in the air just over a minute. In that plane, he flew others. Today, uh, 1976, former governor, Georgia governor Jimmy Carter, he became the first candidate from the Deep South since the Civil War to be elected president. He was he defeated incumbent Gerald Ford. Today, in 2003, in Durham, New Hampshire, V. Gene Robinson, he became the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church. Today in 2004, President George W. Bush was elected for a second term. And today in 2010, Republicans won control of the House of Representatives. They picked up 63 seats in a midterm election. Democrats retained a majority in the Senate. And Republican governors outnumbered Democrats. They gained six states in the governor's mansion. Today is Election Day across America. It's a midterm. I'll be talking a little bit more about that in a moment and much more about it tomorrow. But let me tell you what Peter wrote. The disciple, Peter. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So much of what's going on in our world today can be so overwhelming 
But we don't look to the conditions in our world for our source of strength and security. Our source of strength and security comes from the Lord. That's what Peter was saying when he wrote that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. A lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That makes everything else fade in importance. So many people today are struggling with anxieties and fears and concerns and all of just all kinds of emotional problems. And who doesn't understand that? Virginia voters are facing a very stark choice between two competing visions today. As I said, there are elections all across the country today, a midterm type election. But Virginia has become the focus of this election day nationally. The Commonwealth, as it's referred to, is its future is on the line. I think it's going to reflect what's happening to a greater degree across the country as well, and others feel that way. They will decide today, Virginia, whether to continue down a liberal path toward California-style policies and values, or whether to follow Florida's conservative term. The two states on opposite coasts, one on the left coast, the west, the other on the right, they have kind of framed this national debate over how to deal with the coronavirus, the pandemic, and a lot of other issues in the culture. And they have increasingly become symbols of the two parties, political parties, overall vision for the country. The vision of the right and the left could not be more contrasting than they are today, and I think we all know that. So we'll see what happens in Virginia. We'll certainly talk a little bit about that tomorrow. We'll be talking about other uh, elections, whatever is noteworthy uh, in Washington State, Oregon, uh, Idaho, Arizona, California, and so on, wherever we have listeners. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll spend a little bit of time on that. Depending on what happens overnight, we'll see what happens. We'll take a look at it uh, tomorrow morning as we come back on the air, originating 9 a.m. live in Washington State. But uh, speaking of Washington State, Athletic Director Pat Chun. Remember I talked about the coach here a couple of weeks ago? He got fired because he had a religious, he asked for a religious exemption from the vaccine, and they wouldn't give it to him. And uh, he said he, you know, his religious beliefs precluded that. And as I said then, I will say again, I, I don't know the coach, the former coach, but um, he said he was a Christian and he said, or he said he had religious beliefs that conflicted with taking the, vac- the vaccine. And so I, I just took him at his word and believed that that's probably how he felt. And anyway, they declined that. Pat Chun the, uh, is the Washington State University athletic director and he's the one that actually pulled the trigger and fired. That's not a good analogy in today's world. He's the man that actually decided to fire um, the coach. But according to this morning, according to the Whitman County Watch, that's a news service, it's online, WhitmanCountyWatch.com, a city council member um, in Pullman, Washington, where Washington State University is located, 
He owns Sorensen's Pioneer Insurance, Al Sorensen. He's a city council member and um, active in the community. He um, he has now he is now saying that Chun has become this Pat Chun, the the athletic director, has become verbally aggressive with him because of a video allegedly showing that Chun and I think other family members of his were at this party and nobody was wearing masks or they weren't keeping any of the protocol that he has so valiantly supported in firing the head coach of Washington State University, football coach. His daughter, Sorensen's daughter, posted a video of the outside of Chun's house during a party that involved nobody wearing masks and all of that kind of thing. And um, it's apparently created quite an issue in Pullman. And I only mention this because we have a lot of listeners throughout that area and a lot of people interested in in the university, in Washington State University. And I think most all of us are interested in these kinds of things because we should know this is going on. When Chun and his wife showed up at Sorensen's business, he owns a, a an insurance business. In, uh, it's called Pioneer Insurance uh Sorensen's Pioneer Insurance in Pullman. And um, so Chun and his wife, this this athletic director from WSU, he and his wife, they show up at Sorensen's business, and Sorensen is saying, and there is a police report, he's saying that Chun walked into his office and started yelling at him and said, you are a, a blank, I'm not going to say the word, he was you, I mean, you, you can read it somewhere else, but you won't hear it here. But he said, you are a blank. You know how many people blanking hate you? I'm going to try to destroy you. That's what Sorensen says. This guy shouted at him in his office, this Pat Chun. Because his Sorensen's daughter had put up a video showing Chun. I mean, you can see him in the video and others at this party, and nobody was doing any distancing, masking, all this kind of stuff that Chun made such a big deal out of just a couple of weeks ago when he fired the head coach. So Sorensen says, I felt really threatened and verbally abused by all this. He said, I believe that if I had stood up from my desk, it might have gotten physical. He said, I was extremely well restrained. And uh, that's in the police report. So... <laughs> It's it's worth noting that Chun was the guy that fired the coach, Nick Rolovich, for not complying with the state's vaccine mandate and the protocols that go with it. So you don't have to be, you know, you have to read between the lines too much to see that it's pretty clear. If these allegations are true, Chun has a lot to answer for. And I think this will become, if it isn't already, a national story. Because this is the kind of hypocrisy that we see in the in the culture, and that's part of why so many people are so worked up about what's going on and not going on in the culture. So Chun fires the head coach just within the last couple of weeks, and then he himself is out partying. It doesn't apply to him. How many times have we seen this? Whether it's Nancy Pelosi and D.C. and the, the elites and so on, or some you know, guy at a state university. I mean, it. the pattern is the same. 
So we'll see if Chun chooses to. I'll, I'll keep an eye on this story. And any of you that listen to this program from that area, if, if you see stuff about this, let me know. Because this is kind of what I am describing when we talk about that subject. I mean, there's such hypocrisy with these people. They, they go on and on and on about the science and Fauci and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm not saying whether someone should get a shot or not. I have said before, that that's a decision you need to make. But I am focused on the fact that the government is mandating that people take it or else they take away their life and their job. That's wrong. That's dead wrong. That does not fit what America is about or should be about. So that's my issue here. I mean, that's my thrust. It's not trying to convince people to take the vaccine or not take the vaccine. That's a decision that you and you alone must make. And I think under America and our Constitution, you have every right to make that decision, not the government. And I feel very strongly about that. So keep me posted. Just send me something if you think it would be helpful. Don't send me a pack of newspapers. No, I'm kidding. But let me know. Seattle is not only sleepless, famously in the movie of some years ago, but according to the U.S. Census Bureau, it's also the most anxious major city in America, Seattle. This just came out this week. The Seattle Times said yesterday they picked up on it and wrote an article. I'd seen it in another report. But the Seattle Times said yesterday, quote, here in Seattle, we take a lot of pride in our status as the coffee capital of the nation. But starting tomorrow you might want to consider switching to decaf. Why? I'm still quoting from the Seattle Times. Because Seattle is the most jittery major metro in the United States, according to a survey, the data from a U.S. Census Bureau. Well, I had seen that, and it's true. That is what the Census Bureau found. I didn't know they were doing surveys, to be honest with you, but because I don't pay that much attention to the U.S. Census Bureau, but I did notice that, and they are. But here's what the Census Bureau has found. It's interesting. The survey that they did, they did it between September 29 and October 11, so it's quite recent. The survey that they're talking about found that 54.5% of the adult population of King, Pierce, and Snohomish counties, that's roughly about 1.8 million people, that's about half, a little more than half of the people who live in those counties, they said that they felt nervous, anxious, or on edge for at least several days during the past two weeks. That's the highest percentage among the 15 largest U.S. metro areas in the country. Seattle is the 15th largest metropolitan area in the United States. They call it, the the Census Bureau calls this the Household Pulse Survey. It's an experimental project taken by the Census Bureau to, um, according to them, provide data in near real time as opposed to the long lag times in other surveys. Well, they maybe need to catch up a little bit with their thinking because most of the polling companies now are as current as they are. And this was pretty current, but there aren't long lag times except in certain studies. But nonetheless, that's what they that's how they define this thing. And they they do this apparently quite often. But the data from the survey, they say, is intended to inform officials and policymakers about the impact of the pandemic on communities across the country. So the Seattle Times guy that wrote this, I don't know him. I know some of those people there. I don't know this guy, Gene Balk. 
He says he was a little skeptical about the survey results at first because feelings often change from day to day, and that's true. We're kind of up one day and down the other. He said, but a closer look revealed that these results were consistent going all the way back to July. So the CDC is, or this uh, Census Bureau has been following this for some time now. So in other words, the, the writer, this bulk guy, he says the results don't appear to be a, a fluke. He notes that, quote, a higher percentage of white people are stressed out in Seattle than the people of color. I don't know what that means, but it, it's interesting. But beyond that, he says the obvious. The stress of the pandemic and the normal stresses of living life create anxiety. Well, I think we all knew that, but that's what he says. He also mentions that there's a strong generational component to anxiety. Seattle's Generation Z and millennials are significantly more stressed out than the boomers, the, the older guys. But I know some older guys that are stressed out as well. So I think all of us, I mean, all of you guys, um, I think you all, we all, we all, have times of stress and anxiety. We live in a culture that is laced with stress and anxiety. While he, in this article, and, and this is not a criticism, but while he goes on and says the data, the, the survey data doesn't give us any clues as to why people are anxious. I, I'm not the Census Bureau, but I'd like to give you a few reasons why I think people are anxious and stressed out, and on the edge, and so on. Not only in Seattle, but across the country and around the world. As I said, today Virginia is going to elect a new governor. Just two weeks ago, Democrat Terry McAuliffe was leading by a significant margin over the Republican, Glenn Youngkin. Today, Youngkin is leading in several polls, by several points. We'll see what happens. But all of this, after Biden, Obama, Kamala Harris, all campaigned for McAuliffe, Everybody said he's a shoe-in. He can't lose. With the essence of their speech, however, came this avalanche of hatred for Donald Trump. Barack Obama spoke on behalf of McCullough. He spoke 20 minutes in a speech that he gave last weekend. In that 20 minutes, he mentioned Donald Trump. Obama mentioned Donald Trump 17 times. The election wasn't about Donald Trump. It was about McCullough and Yunkin and Virginia. Trump isn't running for office in Virginia, and he doesn't live there. But Obama was obsessed with Trump, and he mentioned his name in 20-minute speech 17 times. That tells you a lot. Joe Biden was elected by people who hated Trump more than they loved America. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been elected. I believe there was fraud in the election. You've got to factor that in. I don't know to what degree, but there is no question in my mind, regardless of the outcome, there was fraud. And it, it, it's a chilling feeling to think about that in terms of our ongoing elections, because our elections are really a part of the bedrock. I mean, a significant part of the bedrock of America and, and our freedoms and uh, that we the people and, and so on. I mean, it's, it's, it's concerning. It creates anxiety when you think about it. Biden had run for president his whole life. This was his third time. Nobody believes that I know of, even on the left, that 83 million 
people voted for him, but they say they did. But Biden promised to unite America, and today our country is more divided than ever before. He's broken nearly every promise he made, leaving hundreds of Americans behind in Afghanistan, bungled the withdrawal so badly that 13 of our own military people were unnecessarily killed. He promised more jobs, but the mandates. He's fathered through surrogates like Governor Inslee and Governor Kate Brown and others. That's cost jobs, not created jobs. This administration has sponsored an all-out attack on public school children's parents, and that's one of the issues that's really in the forefront in Virginia today. Trying to force parental authority out of the hands of the parents and into the hands of the government. And President Biden, former President Obama, Kamala Harris, have only one message. Donald Trump. That's how much the left hates him. And I suspect these people do in their hearts. I don't know their heart. God knows their heart. But hate is not a vision. It may be a motivator, and it ultimately creates weariness and exhaustion and destruction. Hate. And people hate. We're seeing that more and more in politics. It isn't a matter of disagreeing or having a different point of view. They hate this man, Donald Trump. I'm not defending him. I'm just saying these people are still living through their hatred for a man who became president of the United States and wasn't their candidate. That's how much they hate him. That's how much they hate what he stands for, what he did and tried to do as president, and on and on it goes. But hate isn't a vision. And without a vision, people perish. Hate is a motivator. There's no question about that. Martin Luther King Jr., he said, hate destroys the very structure of the personality of the hater. When you start hating anybody, uh, MLK said, it destroys the very center of your creative response to life. So just love everybody. (laughs) Okay. Tertullian was a uh, prolific early Christian author from Carthage in the Roman province of Africa, which was northern Africa at the time. He was the first Christian author to really produce an extensive a work of Latin Christian literature. He was an early Christian apologist. He was a polemicist against uh, heresy. He particularly uh, took on in his time, there was a contemporary Christian Gnosticism movement within the Christian church. And like, well, you know, we can't know for sure, and so on. And um, he took that on. Well, anyway, he said, the first reaction, Tertullian, he said, the first reaction to truth is hatred. And when anyone stands publicly for truth, there is a immediate reaction to that. He is so right of hatred. They hate the messenger because they hate the message. No one experienced that to a greater degree than Jesus himself. He was a problem because he is the truth. He not only spoke the truth, but he is the truth, the life, the way. And the religious leaders and the political leaders of his time, they could not handle that. And that's what led, from a human perspective, that's what led to his crucifixion. Of course, God planned that before the foundations of the earth. But looking at it from a human perspective, that brought us to that day on the cross. Nothing brings people together sometimes more than mutual hate. 
In fact, mutual hate has been found to bring people together in a more effective, more responsive way than mutual goodness. It's ironic, but it's true. But hate is destructive. At the heart of progressivism, in my view, at the heart of progressivism is a hatred for God and a rebellion against God and a belief that government should replace God. And I know every progressive that might be listening or that you know would say, oh, I love God. How do you love God and go out and act and make policy or support people and elect people who do make policy that stands in the face of Almighty God, like Franklin Graham often says, shakes their fist in the face of God? How do we do that? There's no rationale behind that. It it simply doesn't connect. At the heart of progressivism is a hatred or a rebellion against God and a belief that government should replace God. Now, which government? Well, it would always be the government that I favor. And if it's a bunch of young kids running around who like free stuff, they, of course, like a socialist government until they figure out how it really works. C.S. Lewis said, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. That he was addressing at an earlier time, C.S. Lewis was addressing what we're seeing today in real time. People are so inward-looking. They're trying to figure out their pronouns. They're trying to figure out if they're a man or a woman. They're trying to celebrate those who are confused because that's the politically correct thing, the woke thing to do. So C.S. Lewis says, look for yourself, try to find yourself, find your identity, and get focused on yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But C.S. Lewis continued, he said, but look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him everything else thrown in. George Eliot once said, hatred is like fire. It makes even light rubbish deadly. (laughs) So true. So true. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Even NBC anchor Chuck Todd last Sunday morning, under the far-left advocate that he is, he debuted a new poll on Sunday's broadcast to meet the press, which showed 71% of Americans believe America is on the wrong track. Every day, they, every time they take that poll, it becomes more so. More than 65% of Americans think the economy is in poor condition, and nearly half of it believe it's getting worse. Wall Street Journal says that Democrats are killing the American dream. Big feature article. I put that in an article that I wrote today at faithandfreedom.us. You can go there and read it. I would encourage you to do it. But Winston Churchill said the future is unknowable, unknowable, but the past should give us hope. But the Bible says that the past gives us hope in the sense of a future hope that is in Jesus Christ because he has died and resurrected as I said at the beginning of the program today. So the past tells us that the passion for freedom, and especially religious freedom, runs deep in this nation, but it can and should run deep in each of us today. And that should bring us together in ways that we address all kinds of issues, including cultural issues. And more importantly, Jesus himself said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it 
be afraid. That's my message for Seattle today and anyone else who is ridden by anxiety. Thank you for your support. We need it. Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399 Bellevue, 98009. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.